get growing with Farmer Fred. Talk 650 and KSTE.com. Here is Fred Hoffman. Well, happy Sunday morning to you. Welcome to Get Growing on Talk 650 KSTE. Farmer Fred here, Fred Hoffman, UC Cooperative Extension Lifetime Master Gardener, garden columnist with the Lodi News Sentinel, the guy that does all the typing at FarmerFred.com, all the ranting at the Farmer Fred Ramp blog page at Twitter.com slash Farmer Fred Daily Garden Tips. Lots of snark. Oh, all that digital stuff. You got your Instagram and uh, uh, YouTube and Pinterest and TikTok. And even Strava, if you want to see how far I rode my bike this past week. Well, it was my birthday week back on uh, Tuesday, which just coincidentally happens to be official tomato planting day. And I did plant tomatoes on Tuesday. But I also rode my bike, uh, and I like on my birthday to ride my age. Well, it was such a nice day. I just kept riding. Turned out to be, what, 100 miles or so? <laughs> with a bit of climbing too, going around uh, Folsom Lake and and around, but it was a good day for a bike ride. Glad to be able to do it. I I hope you're alive and well and and maintaining in what we like to call these interesting times. And uh, on today's show, we're going to be talking about fruit trees, about low chill conditions like what we have here in the uh, Sacramento and San Joaquin Valley. And how you can grow high chill fruit trees. Tom Spellman from Dave Wilson Nursery. We'll be talking to him about that very topic. Uh, we'll also talk about how to grow Dutchman's pipe vine. And uh, we'll talk with Scott Paris out at High Hand Nursery about his Hydrangeas for Heroes campaign. And we will have a garden grappler with a pretty nice uh, grand prize, too, from the uh, folks at Smart Pots, which, by the way, are fabric pots for your plants. And they, they last for years. I've had mine, what, four years now? And I'm able to use them every year. Okay, so we'll be doing all that. We'll be answering your questions. Email them in to fred at farmerfred.com. And let's take a look at the weather. Nice. Fair through October. Sunny skies today, 77, the expected high. That's very pleasant. It'll even be pleasant on Monday. Sunny skies with a high of 83 here in the Sacramento area. Your totals may vary. Tuesday, 84. Not bad. Wednesday, 84. Not bad. And then something happens between Wednesday and Thursday. I'm not sure what it is. But all of a sudden, on Thursday, the high temperature is predicted to be 93. Then on Friday, 94. And then on Saturday, it drops down to a balmy 91. So it's going to get hot by the end of the week. Adjust your watering Accordingly, if you've got a new garden, especially if you have if you planted seeds, maybe you put in squash seeds, keep that seed bed evenly moist until the plants have emerged from the ground. For new transplants, maybe you found some plants at the nursery and you put them in. They too need to be kept evenly moist, but not flooded, but evenly moist until the root are established and you start seeing new growth then you can uh, go back to your normal watering habits whatever it may be and that's going to vary depending on the type of soil you have if you have a sandy soil or you're watering containers or raised beds it'll be more frequently than if you've got say south natomas clay soil or something along those lines where the water stays in the soil for a longer period of time know your soil that's the best way to uh, figure out how to water Speaking of soil, that is the topic of the latest edition of the Garden Basics with Farmer Fred podcast. Uh, we talk with uh, several 
experts about uh, how to uh, feed your soil, not your plants, and the and what's going on in the soil to get your plants to grow. And that's all part of the new podcast. Garden Basics with Farmer Fred. Check it out. It's especially geared towards people who are new to gardening due to the shelter-in-place rules and concerns about food security or the food supply. And it's still, gardening is a great hobby to develop for a lifetime. And you're going to learn, listening to it, some good tips. And even if you know gardening, uh, you're going to pick up information that uh, you may not be aware of that can help you out and ease your uh, gardening chores. Once again, it's called Garden Basics with Farmer Fred. It's only been around three weeks, the podcast. We have uh, seven episodes up. And what I like about it and part of its appeal, it's short. It's less than 30 minutes. Every episode will be less than 30 minutes. Now, if you're listening to the podcast of this show, you know it goes on and on and on. But uh, for a a shorter podcast, 30 minutes seems to be about the right length for a commute. Now, I realize nobody's commuting yet, but eventually we'll all get back to commuting, in which case a 30-minute gardening podcast makes a heck of a lot of sense. But thank you all for embracing the Garden Basics with Farmer Fred podcast in its newness. It's uh, already, even though it's just three weeks old, over uh, 3,000 People have downloaded uh, that podcast at the latest count, 3,100. Thank you. I appreciate that. And, of course, podcasts are available for Get Growing uh, here on KSTE, as well as the KFBK Garden Show, and I appreciate you listening to that as well. Uh, A lot of email questions coming in about uh, what's going on with the nurseries who can't find any plants. Well, no, they're there. There, There are more coming in, but there was an unprecedented run on garden supplies over the last month, month and a half, since mid-March, since this whole thing started. People, when faced with adversity, they reach for their trowel and begin to garden. This has happened before in our society during uh, depressions and wars, and so this is not uncommon. And uh, you will find, uh, just like in the grocery stores, you're seeing empty shelves, but you know those shelves will get filled after they've Get the supply chain back to normal. And that is true in the world of gardening as well. Uh, Part of my uh, bike ride on Tuesday, I went up to Auburn and visited Isley's Nursery, which is a retail nursery. But they're also a wholesale grower, and they grow a lot of plants for area nurseries. And I was checking out their greenhouses in the back, and they've got all sorts of tomato and pepper and squash plants that are coming up. They're still little babies, but they will be in the supply chain soon to your favorite local nursery. Seeds might be a different story. If you plant from seed, I would suggest you may have to shop around, and it won't be online because most of the online seed availability has, uh, depending on what varieties you want, may have ended because people grabbed up seeds very quickly, especially online. Now, you may find some at uh, the, the big box stores as well as your local nursery, but Uh, If you come up to a seed rack and you see uh, uh, some seeds you want, don't dither. Don't uh, put it off and say, yeah, I'll pick that up next time. You better grab it while you see it. And uh, check the date on the back and make sure it is seeds from this year. Thank you very much. All right. Uh, Wow. May is just a great month to plant. The weather has been just fabulous for getting a garden started. Soil temperatures 
are getting up to near perfect. Here in the valley, soil temperatures are in the mid-60s. In the foothills, they're in the low 70s. That is perfect for taking those transplants of peppers and tomatoes and whatever else you find at the nursery and putting it in the ground. May, as if you live in the foothills, you know that Mother's Day is your typical uh, planting time. And when's Mother's Day? It's next Sunday. So, yeah, you can go ahead and plant this week because your soil temperatures are up there. So uh, go for it. This is the time to do it. But don't worry. It is not a narrow time frame. Your summer vegetable garden can be going in between now and depending on the varieties you want to grow, mid to late June, even into early July. One of those uh, late items that you can put in is corn. And I think on this program, I've talked about planting popcorn. And if I got time a little bit later on, I'll give you some tips on growing popcorn. But popcorn uh, doesn't have to go in the ground until really early June. And I've planted it as late as the first week of July. And you still get a good crop of popcorn come uh, October. So it's a long growing season and it's a long planting season. So don't worry if you can't find your favorite plants at a nursery now. They're coming in. Don't worry. They will be selling you plants. They're they're coming in. Just be patient and uh, prepare your soil in the meantime. We're going to take a short break. And when we come back, we're going to be talking with uh, Tom Spellman from Dave Wilson Nursery about uh, planting fruit trees that need a lot of chill hours. Chill hours is that um, measurement of winter cold. It's basically between 32 and 45 degrees and how many hours we get of hours between 32 and 45 degrees. Many of your tastier deciduous fruit tree varieties, peaches, plums and pluots, apples, things like that, might have high chill hour requirements. But we live in a low chill environment. For example, right now in uh, the final uh, chill season, which runs from November through February, here in the Valley, we had around 700 chill hours. But yet there are... uh, varieties that are very tasty that require 800, 900, 1,000 hours. Can you grow those high chill varieties in a lower chill area? Tom Spellman says, yes, you can. He has tips. We're going to find out how when we come back to get growing on Talk 650 KSTE. Get Growing continues with Farmer Fred. Talk 650 KSTE. Here again, Fred Hoffman. There's an interesting program happening down in Oxnard, California. It involves handing out free fruit trees, avocado trees, peach trees, possibly apple and plum trees as well. It's due to a state grant. The city is offering residents free fruit trees to be planted in their front yards. It's on a first-come, first-served basis. It's part of an urban and community forestry program. The avocado and peach trees are meant to improve air quality. They're geared for neighborhoods down there. 
there identified as being disproportionately affected by pollution. The goal is to reduce greenhouse gases and provide environmental services for urban communities. But hold on a second here. Um, peach trees and Oxnard. If you know your California geography, you know that Oxnard is right by the Pacific Ocean in Southern California. They might get, oh, I don't know, maybe 40 chill hours per winter when a peach tree would prefer maybe 400, 600, 800 hours or, or more. How is that possible? Are they just getting trees and will never have fruit? Let's talk to the Southern California expert when it comes to deciduous fruit trees from Dave Wilson Nursery. It's Tom Spellman. And Tom, you know, I, I can see peach trees growing in Oxnard. I just can't fathom fruit developing on them. Well, you know, one of the nice things about our industry, Fred, is we've come a long way over the past 20 or 30 years in developing some new varieties that, that thrive in the Southern California coastal low chill climate and are still very productive and producing a good quality fruit at the same time. With some of the new Zager varieties or some of the new uh, low chill varieties that have even been found uh, seedling trees in those areas, you know, we've come a long way in the, in the past couple of decades to improving production in, in coastal Southern California. Yeah, that's amazing too. And we got to start thinking about that a little bit more carefully up here too. With climate change, it's been predicted by UC Davis that the climate of Sacramento will more resemble Southern California in just a few decades. So the forward-thinking gardener up here better bar start thinking about some good-tasting, low-chill varieties just in case. Oh, I, I think that's extremely important. You know, that that's a great consideration because we know we're not really going to develop uh, a, a whole lot more chill in, in the future. I mean, there will definitely be some cold years. But I would say on average, we're looking at less and less chill every year. So, you know, even areas in the San Joaquin Valley a couple of years ago, uh, areas like Modesto that normally would have had six, seven or eight hundred chill hours had less than three. And um, I, I don't see that reverting back at this this point. So uh, with the exception of a few cold years, I think we're looking at less than average chill probably from this point on. In previous Dave Wilson Nursery taste test results, uh, as far as peaches go, the Harkin and the O'Henry always came out on top. The Harkin needs, what, 800 chill hours, and the O'Henry something like uh, 750 hours. And yep. what is the taste like of these low-chill varieties? Do they come close to the Harkin or the O'Neill? Uh, again, fortunately, um, lucky for us, we have uh, companies out there like Zager uh, Hybrid who have done a lot in, in hybridizing uh, low chill into fruit trees. So, you know, they have their pride series of peaches. You know, we have a variety called May Pride. We have Eva's Pride. We have Mid Pride and August Pride, which are four successive ripening series of big yellow freestone peaches with absolutely delicious flavor. Uh, so you could plant uh, one right after the other and they're all rated in the 100 to 300 chill hour range. And, and my experience with them, uh, growing them down on the Irvine Ranch, uh, they will actually produce well with even much less chill than that. So we, we had uh, in 2018, we had a give back year. You know, we figured that we were somewhere between zero 
and negative 75 hours, and we had all those varieties producing a good quality fruit. Wow, that's great. So w- when you're talking about negative hours, are you talking chill units then? That would be uh, more more chill units taking into consideration the hours above 70 degrees during that same 90-day period. So, you know, from November 1 to January 31. Yeah, there's certainly a a change in the way that a lot of gardeners now consider fruit trees and growers as well. It's not just chill hours, hours between 32 and 45 degrees. It's how warm is it getting on those February days and those early March days. And uh, a lot of researchers have found that those warm days actually subtract from the accumulated chill hours. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, uh, I, I think the West Coast models really have to take that into consideration because it's not unusual for us to have warm weather even in january and and if we're not considering uh that warm weather as contradicting uh contradicting chill then uh, i think we're making a mistake in our calculation yeah the old joke around the garden show was the first warm weekend in february has people rushing to the nurseries looking for tomato plants and, and now it's more like well the first warm weekend in january has them rushing out oh absolutely if you're a retail nursery in southern california you have tomatoes and peppers in january Let, let's talk about those uh, successful uh, good tasting uh, peaches that you mentioned i notice in the uh, taste test results that uh, Eva's Pride and June Pride uh, both uh, make the top 10. Oh, yeah. They're both very good varieties. And for early season varieties, that's unusual. Most of the early season varieties uh, don't develop a whole lot of flavor until we start to get some summer heat. Eva's Pride and and Mid Pride, uh, June Pride is not really as low chill as some of uh, the others in the Pride series. But uh, Eva's and Mid Pride are, are just exceptional examples of of really good quality big yellow freestone peaches that are just full of flavor and won't disappoint i mean they're reliable year after year after year now i know a favorite peach down in southern california because i I remember uh, seeing them growing up was the babcock white peach and uh, that is a low chill variety isn't it babcock is absolutely low chill it's probably in the 200 to 250 hour range and and it's done very well in Southern California. It's a great uh, fresh fruit. It has a really nice uh, almost like a tropically flavor when it's fully ripe and just uh, melt in your mouth uh, uh, flesh texture. It's just a wonderful variety. And you have others that are white flesh varieties as well that are are freestone. Tropic Snow is another very good, very reliable one. A little firmer texture, a little bit earlier than uh, Babcock, and you know, just a real, a real winner. So there's, you know, there's probably a dozen or more good low chill selections that'll give you successive ripening fruit throughout the season. Uh, The saucer style peaches have really become popular lately. The the donut, the uh, galaxy. Uh, We have uh, several others like Saucy Swirl that come in even earlier. So we now have a whole group of the donut or saucer style varieties that uh, are very low chill adaptable and and ripen again right throughout the season. I noticed that in this Oxnard fruit tree giveaway program, they're they're thinking of doing plums and apples. I've always scratched my head at the idea of a a low chill apple variety that tastes good. But you're very familiar with them because down in the San Diego area around Julian, they grow apples for a living. Let me tell you about a project that I have going on, Fred. Um, I actually uh, put in uh, a high-chill apple variety trial at the South Coast Research and Extension Center in Irvine six and a half years ago. 
and uh, they gave me about a half an acre of property, and uh, I put in 30 different varieties of apples that are all rated in the 500 to 1100 uh, chill hour range. So these are all high chill varieties. The first year, they broke dormancy and grew out beautifully. The second year, they started to develop some spur wood and a couple of fruit here and there. The third year, I had production on more than half the varieties. This year, I have production on all 30 varieties, and they are doing extremely well. And this year, uh, accumulated chill at that project is about 175 to 200 hours. Last year, like I mentioned, we were somewhere between zero and negative 75, and we had uh, fruit on 29 of the 30 varieties last year. So I am, I am fully convinced that there are um, plenty of apple varieties out there that don't require any chill whatsoever. Now, would chill be a benefit? Yeah, from a commercial perspective, I would definitely say you would want to try and grow these commercially in areas where you would accumulate more chill. But for the home gardener, you're getting plenty of fruit on small managed trees in, in close spacings with varieties that they would have never considered planting before. Uh, varieties like uh, Mutsu, uh, varieties like Red Fuji, Brayburn, uh, Hudson's Golden Gem, oh, uh, uh, that uh, pie variety um, uh, out of England, Bramley. I have, I have dozens of varieties in that, in that trial that are not supposed to ever produce a fruit in Southern California, and they're all fruit. Are, are you growing these in the shade? No, these are out in a, in a full sun location. And they are, um, are, the trees are doing beautifully, and uh, we have a lot of uh, volunteer activity on the project and a lot of interest, even from the UC system, on, on how this project is, is working. In fact, I'm going to write, um, I'm gonna write a, an evaluation paper on it uh, this coming fall and, and into winter. We're, uh, we're harvesting some fruit this week, and we're going to do a little tasting uh, at the field station this coming Saturday morning. Well, I'll tell you, Mutsu is one of my favorites. It's a, just one heck of a nice, sweet apple uh, among all those 30 varieties, those low-chill varieties for the tart apple fans out there. Which ones did the best? Well, uh, we have several uh, cider varieties, you know, or, or uh, varieties that would inc- be included in, in cider production in, in the program there. We have Gravenstein and and we have uh, York, and we have uh, Liberty, and and some of those varieties, and they're you know they're all doing very well. Some of the tart varieties have produced absolutely as well as uh, some of the sweet varieties. So uh, I've got the cider guys interested in this project as well. At this test plot, what are average summer temperatures? Is it uh, cooler than it would be, say, in Modesto or Sacramento? It certainly would be a little bit cooler, but, you know, last year, July, I believe it was July either 8th or 9th of 2018, we had 118 degrees on them. So we've definitely had some temperature extremes there. But, you know, in general, I would say um, very seldom do we hit, uh, say, between 100 and 105 at that spot. You're listening to Get Growing on Talk 650 KSTE. You're listening to Get Growing with Farmer Fred. Talk 650 KSTE. Here again, Fred Hoffman. We're talking with Tom Spellman of Dave Wilson Nursery, getting the lowdown on low-chilled deciduous fruit trees for our area. We've been talking about apples. We've been talking about peaches. 
Well, what about plums? There are certainly a lot of good quality, fine-tasting, low-chill plum varieties available. Yeah, Santa Rosa and Burgundy and, and uh, Methley and uh, Beauty, you know, certainly reliable low-chill selection. So I'm, I'm sure they'll be doing those. And, and several of the inner specifics have proven themselves to be very low-chill as well. Pluot, Dapple Supreme Pluot, Emerald Drop, Splash, Flavor King, you know, have all done uh, reasonably well under low-chill conditions. So I'm, I'm uh, anxious to see what they'll do with, uh, with some of those. It sounds like it's <laughs> we've, we've got a lot of good-tasting, low-chill, deciduous fruit trees in our future, something we have to be thinking more and more about here. So don't necessarily, when you're taking a look at the bare root fruit trees next January at your local nursery up here in Northern California or Central California, don't necessarily turn away if it's a low-chill variety. It just might be a good-tasting one. Well, and you know, Fred, um, all of the varieties that we've talked about today are all growing in our test block at Dave Wilson Nursery. So just because it's low chill doesn't mean that it won't produce well under a higher chill condition. So, uh, you know, we get uh, beautiful uh, mid-pride and may-pride and Eva's pride peaches and and all of those pluots and, and, you know, those plums. are They're all producing well at Dave Wilson Nursery, you know, along with uh, some of the, the very reliable low chill selections of apple like Anna and Dorset Golden. We get incredible crops. Low chill doesn't mean that it won't produce under a medium or a high chill condition. Oh, exactly. But as you pointed out, might even add to the flavor. Absolutely. Oh, I can't wait for bare root season coming up in January. It, it's coming up soon. Yeah. What are some of the new varieties of deciduous fruit from Dave Wilson Nursery and Zager Genetics that'll be hitting the market? Well, we have um, we actually have a very uh, late season peach that we're introducing this year, a variety that we're calling Oktoberfest, and uh, we've all just loved it at the nursery. It's a it's again a big kind of a yellow orange or yellow red um, free stone, and it holds on the tree very late in the season, keeps a nice firm texture. We were um, eating some just uh, last week at the nursery, and and, and it, it actually started to ripen up as early as about the first week in September. So it, it, uh, it has a very long hang time. I think uh, you could easily get a, a four to five week hang time out of that variety. And uh, it, it's probably the latest variety in the season of, of really, really good quality. Nice, large size, true freestone, beautiful color, beautiful texture, uh, stays firm right up until the time it's fully tree ripe. So uh, look for that one, you know, and, and we're always looking to extend out the season. We're always looking for varieties that are going to give us, you know, uh, an, either an early season advantage or a late season advantage. So many of us have plenty of varieties that are ripe in, in late June and July and, and early August. We need, you know, before that, we need after that. Uh, we'll also have a new cherry plum uh, hybrid coming out this winter that's, uh, that's late as, as well. And um, that will be uh, available for the first time this, this January. So that kind of um, adds a late-season cherry plum variety to the early and mid-season varieties that we already have. And the cherry plums have really, really taken off. They've become very, very popular with uh, both commercial growers and uh, home orchardists. The, si the size used to bother some of the commercial guys, the small fruit size but and they're about golf ball size or ping pong ball size so they're not you know they're not like the size of a cherry they're bigger than that but um the commercial guys used to look and say well if it's not as big as a tennis ball we don't want to do anything with it 
And that philosophy has changed. You know, the, uh, the marketing of, of some of the uh, Mandarin selections, like the Cuties program and the Halos program, have brought back in the desirability of, of some of those smaller fruits. So they're, they're looking now at things that they can pack in lunches and, and things where the kids can eat, eat two or three and, and enjoy them. You know, We're always looking at introducing a couple of new varieties every year and, and hopefully uh, trying to reintroduce uh, some of the old-fashioned varieties that have fallen out of popularity for one reason. Well, one uh, variety that's been around for a long, long time, and, I mean, if you want a really late-season fruit, and it's a favorite of many, it's the Fuyu persimmon, which I think for years was a bestseller at Dave Wilson Nursery. You know, it's still right up there in the top five varieties that that we grow. Uh, Jiro Fuyu persimmon is an incredible piece of fruit. The tree is very uh, resilient and, and thrives in almost any western or southwestern climate, so it's done exceptionally well. I've got a beautiful crop on my tree this year in, in Southern California, and it's just starting to color up well right now, so uh, I always look forward to some of the fall fruits. You know, the, the figs are tremendous. The pomegranate uh, varieties are, are beautiful this year. The persimmons look really, really good. So um, jujubes, I've been eating jujubes now for over a month and I just I just can't get enough of them. I love them when they're when they're firm texture and have that nice kind of a appley nutty flavor to them. So uh, this is one of my favorite times of year. There's a lot of tasty fruit to be had just about uh, really about 10 months a year. If you think about it, if you're thinking of uh, deciduous fruit trees and you throw in a few citrus uh, here in California, you can be picking fruit off trees year round. That's what it's all about for the backyard grower. You know, that's what I try and get people to take into consideration. And, you know, in in, in my uh, uh, travels with uh, Dave Wilson Nursery, you know, moving all around this country and even to some other countries around the world and seeing some of the climates that uh, people have to endure and the fact that in in many climates in, in our country here, they can only grow fresh fruit for three or four or five months out of the year. And... I think that's a shame, you know. I mean, I can I can harvest something out of my yard every single day of the year and and look forward to doing so on a regular basis. It'd be it would be uh painful to me to live somewhere where I couldn't harvest fruit for five or six months out of the year. You and me both. Tom Spellman's with Dave Wilson Nursery telling us about low-chilled deciduous fruit trees that taste great. Low-chill peach varieties, plums and apples as well. Tom Spellman, always a pleasure talking with you. Thank you. Same right back to you, Fred. And remember to um, let them know our website, most comprehensive website for fruit information there is, DaveWilson.com. I think you just did. Thanks, Tom. Thank you, Fred. By the way, speaking of uh, DaveWilson.com, uh, we got a call during that segment. Uh, a caller wanted to know the best Satsuma plum variety, probably the best low-chill Satsuma plum variety to grow. Well, the Satsuma plum variety is its own variety. And what's nice at DaveWilson.com is you can go there and uh, check out their taste test results. It's something like, what, twenty more than 20 years' worth of taste testing results are in there. And they've uh, compiled it all and uh, come up with their winners, if you will, of best tasting varieties for just about every deciduous fruit variety. And uh, the caller's question about uh, the plum, and he uh, or she specifically says the Satsuma plum, and actually that's its own variety, and it's a longtime favorite here in California, the Satsuma, and it's uh, got a late July harvest 
but you need a pollinator with it. You need a, a pollinizer with it. I'm sorry. Uh, with the Satsuma, like a Santa Rosa or a beauty plum to uh, increase the fruit production. And it only has a, a chill requirement of 300 hours. That's not much at all. Again, we talked earlier about what a chill hour is. It's uh, any hour between November and February. That's between 32 and 45 degrees. And normally here, we, we used to get 800 to 1,000 hours, no problem. But in the last 10, 15 years, the number of chill hours we get during the winter has dropped. And right now, 600, 700 hours or so, maybe sometimes more. 700 was about what we had last season from November through February. And so that the Satsuma uh, would do quite well with that as would uh, some others that would do well. The, in the Among the taste test winners of plums, the Weeping Santa Rosa was the all-time winner, and it is one of the most flavorful, aromatic Japanese plums when fully riped, and that only has a chill requirement of 200 to 400 hours. Now, the plum variety that came in second place is the Emerald Butte, and the Emerald Butte is one of the highest-rated plums in blind fruit tastings at Dave Wilson Nursery. And it uh, tends to ripen in late August. That's another reason to plant several different varieties if you like plums, because they can ripen at different times. So if you have, let's say, the Satsuma plum, which uh, ripens in late July, or if you have the Weeping Santa Rosa, which uh, has sort of about that same time uh, frame as far as... Actually, the the Santa Rosa plum is going to be a little earlier. That's late June for the Santa Rosa then the uh, Satsuma would ripen in late July. And if you added the Emerald Butte to that, that has a late August harvest date. But the Emerald Butte needs 600 to 700 chill hours. Still, we get that here. And those would be three very good varieties if you wanted to uh, have an assortment of plums to grow. The Satsuma, the Weeping Santa Rosa and the Emerald Butte. Uh, For more information, uh, check out uh, the Dave Wilson Nursery website, DaveWilson.com. All right, we'll take a short break. When we come back, we'll delve into the email you've been sending to Fred at FarmerFred.com as we continue with Get Growing on Talk 650 KSTE. 8663. Get Growing continues with Farmer Fred. Talk 650 KSTE. Here again, Fred Hoffman. Don't forget, coming up after the news at 11 o'clock, it's Garden Grappler time. A chance for you to pick up a prize or two from the Farmer Fred Prize Closet. And uh, we have a special grand prize uh, coming up each Sunday during the month of May. Are you familiar with Smart Pots? Smart Pots are fiber pots that you grow plants in. They come in various sizes, various shapes. And they last from year to year. I'm very impressed with uh, how well they last. And uh, we're going to be giving away some smart pots during the month of May, during the Garden Grappler, to the grand prize winner each week. So Garden Grappler coming up a little after the news at 11 o'clock. Plus, we're going to be talking with Scott Paris out at High Hand Nursery about his Hydrangeas for Heroes campaign that's going on. And a little bit later on, we'll get some tips on growing the Dutchman's Pipe Vine to attract swallowtail butterflies. All right. Uh, let's delve into the email you've been sending to Fred at FarmerFred.com. It's radio. I can't show you the picture, but Melody of Sacramento sent in a picture of a bug chewing on her yellow rose flowers. She says, 
These nasty bugs are showing up in my roses. What are they? How do I get rid of them? Well, I only see the backside of the bug in the picture, but I can recognize it. It's the Hoplia beetle. Some people say Hoplia beetle. I'll call it the Hoplia beetle. And it is a pest of light-colored roses. Now, one solution is to only grow dark-colored roses because the Hoplia beetle seems to prefer light-colored roses, white, yellow, apricot. It's a common pest of roses in many other parts uh, throughout California, but especially here in the Central Valley. It is just one generation a year. So it's a problem from late March through May when the adult beetles are feeding on light-colored blossoms. They're very small. They're about a quarter inch long. The head and thorax are a dark reddish-brown color. The wing covers are dark to light brown. And most of the body is a beautiful iridescent silvery green in sunlight. The larvae are small. You may have seen them, especially near your rose bushes, if you were digging in the ground and you came up with a small crescent-shaped grub with a dark head. Now, not always. Some chafers are the same color and shape, but if you see some ground-dwelling uh, critters that you don't recognize, it could be the larvae of, of the Hoplia beetle or a lawn chafer. Either one of them are pests. And what I've been doing in the garden, I've been finding a lot of them uh, down about six, eight inches or so, maybe even as uh, shallow as four inches when I'm digging holes for uh, tomatoes and peppers. I see them in my raised bed. And every time I come across that C-shaped white body with the uh, dark colored head, I just toss it to the birds. Get it out of there. The birds will find it. And that's one way to control the larvae. Now, what about the adults? How do you control the hoply adults? Well, there are some easy ways to do it. One way is to regularly handpick them off the flowers that they're feeding on and dispose of them in a bucket of soapy water. Or you can just shake those uh, blossoms out when you see them. Shake the blossoms out into the soapy water. You can clip off the blooms that are infested with the beetles and dispose of them. But actually, just handpicking can be an important way of reducing future beetle populations in the immediate area, the Hoplia beetle. Another non-chemical uh, control measure is to fill white five-gallon buckets with water and a few drops of detergent to break the surface tension. Place these buckets in several locations throughout the rose garden. They'll attract the beetles. They fall in the buckets and they drown. There's no research to prove it, but there's enough... Uh, how shall we say, word of mouth evidence that it does reduce the beetle population somewhat, not totally. And again, uh, if they're really a problem, you may want to consider just darker colored rose varieties, such as red roses, to avoid problems with this pest. Generally speaking, sprays aren't recommended because the blossoms protect the beetles and the spray has to come in direct contact with the beetles in order to kill them. You're better off hand picking them or shaking them into a bucket of water, soapy water. And uh, trying that to the buckets of soapy water, just placing them out in the garden at various spots and see how many you catch every night. Uh, put them out there. Uh, you put them out there anytime during the day and check them the next day and see if you've got any. That's a good way to know that you have the problem because they're attracted to that. All right, so hopefully a beetles. More of a nuisance. It's a temporary nuisance from March through May. If you, again, find the mature larvae of the Hoplia beetle as you're digging holes for your 
tomato or pepper or squash plants and you have them in your raised beds or in the soil around the roses, again, just toss them out. You can put them in the trash or just feed the birds with them. It, it doesn't really matter. All right. Uh, one other question here. Uh, Gail writes in and says, I feel like I should know this, but I have tomato volunteer plants coming up where I had two amazing Juliet tomatoes planted last year. Will they be clones or will they be something else? Gail, chances are they will be something else. Juliet is a hybrid variety, which means it does not come back true to the seed it produces. They're specially uh, bred in order to get hybrid seeds. So what you're going to get are traits that will reflect the Juliet along with traits of other tomato varieties that it was bred with. Chances are. Now, I would say you have less than a 50% chance that it'll come back as a true Juliet. There's always that chance. It's just like having kids. What are the chances they're going to exactly resemble you? Yeah, a little bit. But they're going to be their own person, just like those tomato plants are going to be their own tomato plants. I would grow it just out of interest, just out of uh, to see what you're going to get. Maybe save a few as an experiment. And now the good news is they will be tomato plants. Now, whether they produce, whether they produce tasty tomatoes, whether they produce the Juliet, will be a junior scientist and find out. All right. Don't forget the Garden Grappler coming up at... 11 o'clock uh, after the news at 11.05, and we're going to be talking, uh, uh, while you're thinking of answers, we'll be talking with Scott Paris out at High Hand Nursery about his Hydrangeas for Heroes campaign. Uh, there is a clue available at the Get Growing with Farmer Fred Facebook page. I may have posted one. In fact, I think I did. I posted one at the uh, FarmerFred.com website, too, where it says a clue for the garden grappler. And again, we'll have a special grand prize for Caller 5, the uh, latest and greatest from the folks at Smart Pots. All right. Which, by the way, to uh, alleviate the fears of management listening, Smart Pots has nothing to do with marijuana. They are f fiber containers for plants, and they last for years. So we will uh, be doing that during the Garden Grappler. And a little bit later on, we're going to find out how to grow the Dutchman's Pipe Vine here in the Sacramento area. So it's the Garden Grappler. It's coming up as we continue with Get Growing on Talk 650 KSTE. You're listening to Get Growing with Farmer Fred. Talk 650 KSTE. Here again, Fred Hoffman. All right, Garden Grappler time. A chance for you to pick up a prize or two from the Farmer Fred Prize Closet. If you were up and listening to our interview with Tom Spellman, you shouldn't have any problems uh, coming up with an answer to this one. Name a deciduous fruit tree. Now, obviously, there are limitations to that answer. A, it has to be a fruit tree. B, it has to be a deciduous fruit tree. And C, you got to know what deciduous means. I'm not going to give it all away. Name a deciduous fruit tree. Cameron's ready to jot down names and numbers for the first five correct callers. All five callers win a prize, but caller five gets a bonus prize. And you know what that is. It's uh, going to be a smart pot. And that's going to be going to caller five. Because as you know, in the Garden Grappler, you cannot repeat an earlier answer. And caller five has it toughest of all. The number is to call in on the Garden Grappler, 916-576-1578, 916-576-1578, 
or 866-331-8255. 866-331-8255. Name a deciduous fruit tree. So while you're thinking about that, we're going to be talking with Scott Paris out at High Hand Nursery about a special uh, campaign that he has started for some very deserving people. Well, there's a lot of people we need to thank in this day and age, and a lot of them are working at hospitals, doctors' offices, and throughout society that are keeping things together, risking their lives to make sure the rest of us make it through okay. We're calling them heroes. And Scott Paris is out there at High Hand Nursery, and he wants to do something nice for them. And I don't blame him. I think we all should. And, Scott, I know you like alliteration, and I think that's where Hydrangeas for Heroes came around. That's correct. I was sitting in my office Friday Friday afternoon going, you know, I, I, I've talked to some of the hospitals while delivering food. They have lots of food being delivered. And I thought, okay, what else can I do? And I knew what Mother's Day was coming up, so... I called one of my suppliers. I secured the first batch of 2,000 hydrangeas that I saw. And um, a beautiful uh, endless summer eight-inch hydrangeas in full bloom or blooming, budded. And I just thought, you know what? Why not deliver to the hospitals, convalescent homes, and other places that have been on the front lines like that um, so that doctors and nurses, when they leave either from the ICU or wherever they're at, they can come and grab a hydrangea and take it home. So we, so I call it Hydrangeas for Heroes, and um, it gets a label on it that says uh, thank you, simply just says thank you, and um, we are grateful. Underneath that is the words Hydrangeas for Heroes, and um, it's as simple as that. So far, I've managed to get commitments on about 1,600 so far, and uh, we're heading towards 2,000 by Saturday. And um, if you want to participate, you can. It's really simple. Um, they are $15. It includes delivery. We handle everything for you. You can go to the High Hand website at www.highhand.com, and you can um, go to the marketplace, click on the hydrangea flower, and um, you can purchase a hydrangea that will be distributed to a doctor or a nurse throughout the hospital system. Well, that's a great idea, but I imagine you need a little bit of help on 2,000 hydrangeas. We do. And um, I don't ask for help often, but... You know, what am I going to do? I've got days to push these out. And um, we're, we're going all the way from Alameda to um, Stockton, San Joaquin Valley, all the way north into uh, Nevada City to a small hospital up there that's had co- a couple COVID patients. All the Sutters, six Sutters, Kaiser, UC Davis, we've all gotten calls back from the directors and they're excited. And I've had I've got commitments for all the bows to be tied. It was astounding. I was amazed. The garden clubs, floral clubs, Sun City Lincoln's floral club, individuals came and picked up, you know, I'll take 50, I'll take 100, and they're just going to bring them back. I'm, I'm so grateful and so relieved because I thought to myself, all right, this is either going to go really cool or, or I'm going to be tying bows and learning how to do it. It turned out well. We do need, still, is we need drivers. We need to have drivers that have covered trucks that would be willing to come and pick up a quantity and deliver it curbside, not going inside, but deliver it curbside to an address. And um, that's what we need right now. What day are Um, you planning on doing all this? Well, we have 130 bows coming in tomorrow, and those are going to go straight on to plants, and I have 130 hydrangeas going out tomorrow. 
as we receive bows, we're going to sticker the pots, put the bows on them as they go into the trucks, and then just move them out as fast as we can. So it's very fluid. It's ever-changing. We're bobbing and weaving. And it was, you know, it's one of those things that I get myself in trouble for sometimes. I come up with an idea, and before I really think out the logistics, I say, let's do this. Let's go for it, and we'll work it out on the way. And uh, <laughs> That sounds familiar. It's what I do. Yes. <laughs> I, 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 I work best in that situation, you know. Um, I'm not a planner. I'm an executor, and I can do damage control and as I go, and nobody knows I messed it up, you know? So, well, you get lucky, but, too, like digging a well. Yeah, exactly. You know, you don't know unless you jump in and try it, right? And uh, so we've been very successful at it so far. And um, we're very grateful for our sponsors so far, our corporate sponsors, Tigert, for instance, Barry Lumber, Posture County Treasurer, Livingston's Concrete, a construction, a construction company called Charge. Um, they do boring under highways for uh, municipalities and um, a nurse from down south, uh, a head nurse that uh, goes around to uh, control some hospitals. She even jumped on the bag wagon so she can take care of business down there. So when do you think you're going to have all of them delivered as ribbons come in? We're going to punch them out, you know. So every time I get a ribbon, I want to get a plant delivered. So we want to we're, we're hoping throughout the week, we're hoping to get the bulk of them out by, say, Wednesday, um, because I have another fifteen hundred hydrangeas behind that <laughs> that I can uh, put into the pipeline as well. So, so this is an ongoing adventure. Hydrangeas for Hero, Scott Paris out at High Hand Nursery has uh, purchased the hydrangeas and with his partners and and garden clubs and drivers will be delivering these hydrangeas to the heroes in our society right now the medical workers the the staffs the anybody who's working in a dangerous situation and risking their lives to make sure that we can maintain society uh, the way that we want it to be maintained and uh, they're doing a darn fine job and the least we can do is give them a, a nice uh, hydrangea plant exactly it's you know, it's just an opportunity for the doctor to come down, go home, hand a plant to his wife, or for a nurse to take one home for Mother's Day. I would hope the janitors there, too, get a piece of it. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, we're going to drop them off. And I told the, the director, you know, you distribute it how you want to distribute it. I, I won't micromanage that. You know, they know best. And uh, so when they get off shift, they can come down and grab one and uh, we'll go from there. But I'd like to keep it ongoing. It's not just about this. I'd like to keep it ongoing as long as we have interest. Why not? I have the plants. I have the ribbons. I got some volunteers lined up. I just need drivers. I sponsored um, a huge chunk just to get it started. And because uh, I wanted to get something in the pipeline and uh, and it just kind of took off from there. Tiger called me up, heard what was going on. Tiger called me up, and Jed and Judd and, and um, Paula um, have really been great uh, over there. So I really appreciate them. And the same with Tim at Barry and Barry Lumber and Patty at Livingston's and Mark. Um, you know, everybody. I can't ask for anything else. Well, you, you could ask for our, our listeners to uh, maybe go to highhand.com and, and go to the Marketplace page and click on the hydrangea picture and, and purchase one of those $15 uh, uh, hydrangeas that will be going to a very worthwhile person. That would be great. And I need drivers, plain and simple. 
Um, with trucks? With covered vehicles. Covered it could, vehicles. Be, an SUV, it could yeah. be an SUV. You know, we have a car coming in tomorrow. We're going to stuff 30 of them in a Subaru because <laughs> um, we have 30 of them going to a, a lockdown uh, convalescent home. Mm, yeah. Uh, you know, so we can take all shapes and all sizes of things. We're trying to get back to everybody. We've had such an inflow of response that we're trying to get up back up to everybody. So if you want to be involved, you can actually email me direct at Scott, S-C-O-T-T, at highhand, and that's spelled H-I-G-H-H-A-N-D.com, Scott at highhand.com. You can email me direct and uh, be patient with me, and I will try to respond as, as quick as possible. And again, for those listeners or customers who want to purchase the hydrangea to be donated to a medical professional or anybody who's in the line of fire, so to speak, uh, how can they do that? So you go to the way this works, you go to um, highhand.com. You'll scroll down. You'll click on what's new at Highhand. And from there, it'll take you to a big blue hydrangea flower. Click on that and you're good to go. There you go. Hydrangeas for heroes. Scott Paris at High Hand Nursery. The website again, highhand.com. Good job, Scott. Thank you, Fred. Appreciate it. Coming up, the Garden Grappler. We have five people lined up, five people who say they can name a deciduous fruit tree. Special bonus prize for caller five, because as you know, in the Garden Grappler, you cannot repeat an earlier answer. How will they do? We'll find out when we come back to get growing on Talk 650 KSTE. Get Growing continues with Farmer Fred. Talk 650 KSTE. Here again, Fred Hoffman. All right, we have five people lined up for the Garden Grappler. Five people who say they can name a deciduous fruit tree. You need to know a fruit tree. You need to know that it's deciduous. Caller 5 gets a bonus prize. Who's up first? It is Jim in Rio Linda. Hello, Jim. Uh, I believe it's Rio Vista. Okay, I'll take that instead, Rio oh, Vista. All right. All right. Uh, <laughs> but I got a, a Methley Plum. Oh, aren't, aren't you being specific? Okay, very good. A Nestle Plum? Methley. M-E-T-H. Okay, I'm I'm not familiar with that. I I need to look that one up to see what uh, so were, what that one's all uh, about. It, it was there it is. Yes, it on the on the last show. Yeah, yeah. Juicy, sweet red flesh, mild flavor, reddish purple skin, and it's uh, got a June harvest on it. And it uh, only needs 250 chill hours. The Methley Plum. Wow, I'm impressed, Jim. That's a good answer. I like that. Well, thank you. I grew them and, in uh, Pacifica. Oh, okay. Well, yeah, you, you would have uh, probably about 250 chill hours in Pacifica. Exactly. Yeah. Well, g- a good answer, and uh, I'll be sending you, because all five callers get the Farmer Fred Vegetable Planting Calendar, and from the folks at the University of California Integrated Pest Management Program, their tips for controlling ants, and they're coming inside because it's going to get hot. Jim, thanks Thank for uh, playing our little game. Appreciate it. All right. Bye all right, but. Bye-bye. All right. Caller number two in today's Garden Grappler, it's Tom here in Sacramento. So, Tom, go ahead and name us a deciduous fruit tree. A double delight nectarine tree. Ooh, yeah. In fact, I have one of those, and they are so tasty. The double delight nectarine. Good answer. It, and by the way, for people who don't know what a deciduous fruit tree is, a deciduous fruit tree is one that loses its leaves in late fall and winter, and then usually, as a show, in the following, uh, usually in March, you get 
beautiful flower displays before the leaves come out. And they're just absolutely gorgeous in late winter uh, before the leaves come out with the, just the flowers. Double Delight Nectarine. Good answer, Tom. I'll be sending you the Farmer Fred Vegetable Planting Calendar and tips on controlling ants. Great. Can I ask you a berry question real quick? Berry. Berry question. Be my guest. I know that you grow a lot of blueberries and things like that. So I planted yep. some blackberries, blueberries, and raspberries this past year. And first year I got a crop on some of them, and then others didn't didn't produce. And now this year, some of them that didn't produce the previous year are, are I got a nice crop this year, and then there's still others that haven't produced in two years. Is there any pattern or rhyme or reason why they do that? Well, yeah, and, and they're all different, too, and they all have different uh, requirements as far as pruning goes, and it really depends on how you prune them, uh, because in a lot of situations, uh, especially with blackberries, that uh, some you uh, prune to the ground every year and some grow right. on, on new wood, Uh every other year so it really depends right. you need to know the varieties and how to prune it to really get a consistent crop out of each but if they're only one year old don't worry about it ask me this question in three years how about the blueberries i've got a couple of plants that haven't produced in two years Is that that's not abnormal? that's not that unusual uh as long as it's an acidic soil that's the biggest requirement for blueberries is the ph of the soil needs to be around 5.5 and that's why blueberries right. do best in containers Put a lot of peat moss in the hole. Well, as long as it stays moist. Now, the, the peat moss isn't bad, but by itself, it's it's not enough. So it needs uh, like a mix of compost and maybe some sort of an azalea rhododendron camellia soil mix to go along with it. Right. And uh, okay. check the pH of the soil and make sure that it is around 5.5, between 5.5 and 6. And then uh, check the moisture level down at the roots, too. Right. You recommend... Uh, fertilizing or no need oh yeah no if uh, especially for a young plant like yours if they're only one year old is to use an organic fertilizer especially on blueberries um, and uh, just uh, follow the label directions of whatever it might happen to be okay thank you for your help all right tom congratulations thanks appreciate for calling it. appreciate it all right let's go to elk grove for caller number three in today's garden grappler is it pronounced sama sama Sima. Okay, Sima. Yeah. Like the A is silent. Okay. Right. Well, Sima, so go ahead I'm and gonna, uh, give us a deciduous fruit tree, if you would, please. I'm going to go with apricot. I don't blame you. Apricot. It, they're kind of tough to grow around here sometimes. They tend to get a little finicky, but the, the taste can't be beat. And yep. I, I almost gave away another apricot. answer, but we'll just go with apricot. <laughs> I don't want to give away any answers here. So, Simon, I'll be sending you the, the, the Farmer Fred Vegetable Planting Calendar and that information on controlling ants. Thank you. You're welcome. And, and thank you for calling. Thank you for listening to the show. I appreciate it. And there she goes. All right. Call at number four in today's Garden Grappler. It's Doyle down in Thornton. So, Doyle, go ahead and uh, give us a deciduous fruit tree, if you would, please. Howdy, Farmer Fred. A Bartlett pear. Well, there you go. An oldie but a goodie. Yes. Hey, can I say hello to my little seven-year-old gardener helper, Parker Lee? I think you just well, did. I just did. Yeah. I think I did, too. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> hey, I have a question for you quickly, Farmer Fred, since I have you on the line. So, go ahead. I have a nectarine, and it on the ends of the leaves, it's starting to get this little red, puffy... Um, I don't know how to describe it. Kind of like a, a 
uh, a puffy little uh, inch to two inches on the leaves, and it's not producing very well. And I'm wondering if that is indicative of something that you might know. Oh, it's something that we're all very used to on peach and nectarine trees around here, especially if we get rains in April like we did, and that would be peach leaf curl. And that you're, you're going to see that puckering on other leaves as well. The good news is it's not fatal. It's not going to kill the tree. And just just let it be because it's only affecting that one little spot on the leaf. The rest of the leaf is working normally. It's photosynthesizing normally. And so basically the best thing you can do is when those leaves fall off is to rake them up and put them in the trash. And by the way, if, if people aren't aware of it, they are aware of it now. It gets windy down in Thornton. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. <laughs> I'm also de- developing some uh, white little crystalline uh, <laughs> critters, or uh, not really critters, but white little crystalline um, uh, crystals, for lack of a better word, on the fruit itself. That could be uh, the result, too, of... Um the peach leaf curl, but generally speaking, that could be a, a pest issue where uh, some sucking insect came along and, and poked its uh, head in or its proboscis okay. in. And uh, I wouldn't worry too much about that, but be on the lookout for pests on the leaves, especially on the underside of the leaves. Oh, and get out there at night, too, with a flashlight and take a look. Terrific. Thank you well, so much for your help. Oh, Okay, Doyle, thanks for calling. Appreciate it. Thank you. Bye-bye. All right. Bye-bye. And, of course, Caller Ford gets uh, the uh, Farmer Fred vegetable planting calendar as well as the UCIPM information on controlling ants. But, Deborah, in Oroville, if you can come up with a deciduous fruit tree that isn't a methylene plum, a double delight nectarine, an apricot, or a Bartlett pear, I have for you from the nice folks at Smart Pots. They're one of their best sellers. It's the Smart Pot long bed it is six feet long it is uh, 16 inches wide 16 inches tall it's a fabric pot you fill it with soil you plant away when you're done you can pack away that uh, fabric pot the smart pot and save it for next year and it'll be just fine and that'll be coming your way if you can name a deciduous fruit tree wow that sounds great i have a mount rainier cherry do you that's a deciduous fruit tree i have a question about it okay um, can you tell me what kind of damage sunburn does to the a fruit tree? I know you're not supposed to let uh, the deer ate all the leaves off of it. No. They're trying to grow back, and I've got netting around it now. But it's uh, I'm afraid it's going to get burned, and I don't know what that does to a tree. And what? how do you prepare it? To, do I paint all the branches with white paint? Well, it's a, actually, it's a mix of interior white latex paint and water, a 50-50 mix of water and interior white latex paint or a light shade it doesn't have to be white white it it can be eggshell or beige or whatever as long as it's a light color but just that 50 50 mix of water and make sure it isn't exterior paint but interior latex paint and yeah uh, give it uh, any exposed branches i wouldn't cover the buds at this point but i'd at least cover the trunk and some of the main scaffolding branches Okay. Now, what does that do? What does sunburn to a does a tree recover from that, or does it kill it, or what does it do? It depends on how much it's exposed to the sun. Uh, with uh, cherry trees and thin bark trees, if you start seeing long vertical cracks in the main stem, that's a sign of sun scald or sunburn. 
And yes, I, it could lead to the demise of the tree, especially if it if insects attack in there, and it just oh. uh, reduces the overall vigor of the tree. So yeah, give it give it that fifty fifty mix of water and white interior latex paint. Okay, thank you. You're welcome, and enjoy your new smart pot, your smart pot long bed that will I be will. Uh, sent to you. All right, <laughs> it, 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 thank you. And if you want more information about it, you can visit their website, Smart Pots. Dot com. Thank you, Deborah. Appreciate Thank it. Thank you. Bye. All right. Bye-bye. All right. Good job, folks. Yeah, I, I knew you would do that. Uh, already getting emails from people looking forward to uh, the 1130 interview about growing the Dutchman's pipe vine. Well, good. We will do that. We have time for a question. I, I think Peggy in Santa Rosa has been on hold for a while. Hi, Peggy. Can you hear me? Yes, I can hear you. Oh, good. Hi, yeah, Peggy. Thanks for holding. Okay. Um, I have a um, oblong galvanized uh, cattle water tank that I wanted Excellent. to put some tomatoes in. So anyway, um, it's um, I want to put it on my cement patio. Now my problem is, is it just has the one water drain on the bottom. Do I drill holes in the bottom? You betcha. Put in about four or five holes, maybe three quarters to one inch in the bottom. And then, uh, even though there is like a half-inch lip on those on cattle waterers uh, that it sort of raises the bottom off the bottom uh-huh. a little bit, I would set it on either uh, wooden blocks or bricks to give it a bit more height to get air circulation beneath the entire uh, unit in order to help moderate the temperature since it's on concrete. Okay. And what about um, the dirt falling through? Should I put a screen on the inside? No, I wouldn't worry too much about uh, dirt falling through three-quarter or one-inch holes. I mean, if you wanted to, you could uh, put maybe quarter-inch or or half-inch screening on the bottom if you wanted to. But you do need drainage. Okay. You don't want water building up in there. So, yeah, you need more than that side hole on that uh, watering trough. Yeah. What and about it's, the, um, the uh, weight of all that dirt? Should I fill it partway with maybe a... Styrofoam filler? Or just oh no 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 don't no no don't do that. Uh, do it uh, uh, all soil. Whatever mix you're using, make sure it is all soil. Anytime you put a, a different substance below soil, drainage comes to a halt. It's sort of like people driving down the freeway and there's workers off to the side or an accident off to the side, and people slow down, and that backup goes then back for another mile or so of, of looky-loos. The same thing happens uh-huh. with water flowing through soil. When, it's, when it hits a different media, it slows down precipitously to the point where the soil itself remains too moist for too long. So what you want to do is to make sure that whatever soil media you use in that container, that it's consistent all the way through. Okay. Now, as far as the should I use potting dirt or what kind of soil should I put in there? I'd use potting. So I'd use, uh, depending on what you want to grow, you want to grow a tomato in there, uh, I would yeah, use a, yeah. a good quality potting soil. Okay. Okay. Yeah, a lot of it. Because oh, think- <laughs> there's a, that that's a big container, isn't it? Yeah, it is. Yeah. Yeah. What? <laughs> yeah, I got two of them, so it's going to take quite a bit of dirt. Yeah. So, well, potting soil, yeah. Or, I mean, you can do a mix. You can add a little... Uh, if you wanted to, you could mix it with compost, maybe 25% compost, maybe 10% worm castings, and the rest of good quality potting soil. Yeah, but yeah. Depends how much money you have. 
Okay, well, it's going to take me a while anyway. So okay. I'm up there in age, and I'm going to have to use, uh, you know, the bags rather than have somebody deliver it because I can't use the wheelbarrow anymore. So that, anyway, that's okay. not a problem. If, if you can lift, uh, uh, you know, a cubic foot and a half bag of soil and pour it in, you'll do just fine. My kids can. Oh, that's what kids are for. Yep, that's right. <laughs> All right. Okay, well, listen, as far as the wood underneath to lift it up, should I use two-by-fours or four-by-fours or how? I mean, I guess it depends on what kind of wood or... Well, I mean, if you've got some old four-by-four four blocks around there, that would be fine. Uh, bricks are fine, too. Just something okay. so that it's balanced and uh, you've got air circulation beneath. Yeah, yeah. And something not enough to get a cat caught in. Oh, yeah. Well, I'm trying to stay away from the gophers is what I'm doing. So Ah, okay. Well, that'll do it. Yeah. Yep. All right, okay. Peggy, we have to run here. Thank you. All, All right. right. Bye. Bye-bye. All right. Uh, coming up, we're going to be talking about the Dutchman's Pipe Vine. You're listening to Get Growing with Farmer Fred. Talk 650 KSTE. Here again, Fred Hoffman. Well, recently a San Francisco man repopulated a rare butterfly species by planting its favorite flora in his backyard. The pipevine swallowtail, it's a magnificent iridescent blue butterfly called San Francisco home for centuries. But as developments spread, they all but disappeared. And then around 2012, there was an aquatic biologist named Tim Wong, and he learned about the swallowtail's plight. He became enthralled with the idea of bringing them back to his yard in San Francisco. The butterfly itself relies on a very specific plant, the California pipevine Aristolochia californica, where the females lay their eggs and the young caterpillars feed. The plant was scarce, but uh, fortunately for Wong, the San Francisco Botanical Garden uh, let him come in and take some clippings. And then using self-taught techniques, he created a pipe vine swallowtail paradise in his backyard and carefully introduced a group of 20 caterpillars. Well, they grew into thriving adults, and then he went on to populate thousands of swallowtails that can now be seen flying around his garden during the spring and summer. Now, maybe you think that might be a good idea for your own yard. Maybe plant some of these Dutchman's pipe, this Aristolochia californica, and attract your own pipe vine swallowtails to your own yard. Do you really want this for your yard and have all those butterflies floating around? Well, you probably do, but let's talk about this California native with Shelly Perry. She's with the El Dorado California Native Plant Society. And Shelly, thanks for a few minutes of your time. And what do you know about this plant, the Dutchman's pipe? Oh, well... First of all, it's a vine. If you're going to plant it, then you have to consider, unless you want it to be a ground cover, you want something for it to climb on. And that could be a fence or a trellis or, or even another another bush. Um, they can climb, once they're well established, they can climb all the way up into the trees and you can find them in the American River Parkway doing just that. That could be a lot of work someday. <laughs> yeah, I wouldn't say it's, it grows as rampantly as, say, a grapevine, which will you know, totally shade out some things. But uh, it tends to be a bit of a slow starter because it wants to get roots in. But once it's got its roots in, it will spread. And the flowers come in before the leaves, so the flowers make quite a show. It's an interesting show because the flowers are so unique looking. They're unlike anything else. 
The name pipe vine is uh, from the fact that it looks, the shape of the flower is rather like a meerschaum pipe, which is um, very strange and very cool. And when the plant is happy, it will have hundreds of these flowers. They're, they're pretty small, maybe an inch and a half or two inches, but they have some color and some nice patterns to them. And when the plant is covered with, with them and no leaves, it's like, wow, this is really cool. What are the colors for those that are worried about if it'll clash with their patio furniture? Typically, the the background color would be kind of a pale yellow. And then there's uh, stripes, a, a neat pattern of fine stripes that's usually a maroon color. And then up at the front of the flower where there's, you might call it a spout, the spout is also that maroon color. It seems like it's a very adaptable plant, being that here's a gentleman growing it in San Francisco. You mentioned it grows along the American River Parkway in Sacramento County, and it grows in the Sierra foothills, the Central Valley. But does it like wetter areas? It It is pretty adaptable, like you said. Some drought-tolerant plants, if you overwater them, you'll kill them. This is not one of those. Uh, it, it is happy with moderate water, and in fact, even if you're going to naturalize it, probably your first two years you should give it some water because it will grow faster that way. It's also happy once its roots are established, it's quite happy with uh, just being dry in the summer. It does want part shade in Sacramento's climate. All right, so maybe beneath a tree. And how tall will it eventually get? What, about 20 feet or so? Yeah, it'll cover your fence if you have it growing up a fence. If you want it to grow up the tree, you should start tying it up because it, it doesn't have a lot of those little grabby things that vines have. So you have to give it a hand up to get it going upwards. And the flowering season, is it variable? A little bit. It's spring. So it depends a little bit on the exposure and how wet and cold the soil is. But basically, it, it blooms in the spring. And then after about the time it's finishing up blooming, the leaves start coming in. They're nice-looking heart-shaped leaves, and if you touch them, they feel a little bit fuzzy. Is it fragrant? Well, the flowers have a smell. I wouldn't exactly call it fragrant. It's sort of a musty smell. But happily, you have to get... You have to pretty much stick your nose into it and take a sniff to smell it. We're talking about the Aristolochia californica, also known as the Dutchman's Pipe, a California native plant, a vine that can attract a pipe vine swallowtail butterfly to your yard. And, uh, you know, the thing that bothers me about this, if you have it in the backyard, you mentioned that the flowers come out before the leaves. So we're talking about a deciduous plant. And so you're looking at bare vines during the winter? Yes, that's correct. So it's not what I would call a real formal plant. You might have it in the background. You might have it climbing up the fence, and then you have some other plants in front of it, that kind of thing. All right, so you, you can disguise it with other plants, so to speak. Yeah. Now, I have heard that it is actually deer-resistant. It's very deer resistant, and the thing that makes it deer resistant is the thing that makes it the host plant for the larva of the pipe vine swallowtail. It has a substance called aristolochic acid, which is toxic. 
and the the caterpillars can sequester that that substance in their body which makes them toxic to the birds that would otherwise want to eat them now i had heard that with this plant that you want to actually cover the fruits after it's done flowering so that the yellow jackets don't eat the seeds now that one i haven't heard that's interesting i haven't had that problem well okay but but if if people do have yellow jacket populations in the area it's something they may want to consider so so i know you know the fruit uh, the seed is pretty dry and the fruit is dry i always thought yellow jackets went after juicy things i'm confused i'm I'm just operating on rumor here. Yeah, huh. well, that's really interesting. So the seedlings, then, I guess they can be planted. If uh, you take the seeds at the end of the summer and plant them, they probably would sprout in the winter. Plant a lot of them because, and then a few of them will come up. That's my advice. Mm, okay, good advice. You can then. also you can spread your plant by layering too. Hmm. Okay. And uh, I guess uh, if you have suitable plant material, uh, winter and early spring months are the most successful times to take cuttings. Uh, yeah, that's true. But as far as planting the plant, pretty much any time of year, because it's a forgiving, easy to grow plant. But it's more like you say, more of a background plant because of its winter d- deciduousness. So you may want to put some other plants uh, in the vicinity. What are some good companion plants that are shade tolerant and, and can take some moisture as well uh, in that? area any garden plant that doesn't require a lot of water that likes moderate water so you don't it doesn't have to be natives in front of it it will go along with many of the plants that that people already have in their gardens i mean it, it's really an adaptable plant you know one thing that i would uh, probably plant with it would be some hummingbird sage Ooh. I love sage. So, yeah, any of the sages, but it it doesn't necessarily have to be real drought-resistant plants going with it. It's a very forgiving plant. And the other word of warning, if this uh, little addendum from the Calscape.org people is true, that when their seed pods mature, their opening draws numbers of yellow jackets. So placement of this plant should take that into account. So you probably don't want to put the plant in a high-traffic area, such as along a walkway, if you have a known yellow jacket population in the neighborhood and you probably don't want to put it anywhere near a door either good advice so you won't be having yellow jackets coming into the house uh one thing you didn't mention is that the swallowtail the pipe vine swallowtail this particular species only grows in california and only where the the pipe vine is so you're you that's why it's rare basically it has a a limited geographic distribution it needs the pipe vine to survive all right so if you want to track the pipe vine swallowtail butterfly to your yard you need to plant the california dutchman's pipe also known as aristolochia californica you can find it at a california native plant society plant sale and maybe your better nurseries as well shelly perry of the el dorado california native plant Plant Society. Thanks for a few minutes of your time. It's my pleasure, Fred. You're listening to Get Growing on Talk 650 KSTE. Get Growing continues with Farmer Fred. Talk 650 KSTE. Here again, Fred Hoffman. Don't forget, KSTE Farm Hour coming up after the news at noon on today's edition of the KSTE Farm Hour. Well, yeah, the COVID-19 pandemic is uh, fundamentally changing the way we all do business. That includes California's farmers. Some have been able to pivot 
better than others, including a group of local Sacramento County farmers who have uh, basically attempted to recoup a lot of their losses from the food that they were selling to restaurants and hotels to the general public through CSAs, Community Supported Agriculture. We'll talk to them and find out how they're doing. There is a um, crying need, and this uh, pandemic has really brought it home, about better broadband service for rural areas of California. This has been especially true lately as students from outside areas have attempted to do long-distance learning via the Internet. But if you don't have the speeds, uh, you're out of luck. And so we talk about the drive to get better broadband service, not only for students in rural areas, but farmers who need high-speed broadband service to stay competitive and, in fact, just to stay in business. So we'll see how that battle is going to get more and better rural Internet around California. And there are some underserved areas, definite underserved areas of of California, even right here in Sacramento County, when it comes to uh, getting uh, rural broadband. All right. That and a lot more on the KSTE Farm Hour. Also, thank you very much for uh, helping support the new Garden Basics with Farmer Fred podcast. I started it about three weeks ago in order to help out new gardeners in this, uh, shall we say, era of interesting times due to the uh, coronavirus pandemic. People who are starting gardening for the first time. But it's not just basic gardening starting tips. Uh, Anybody interested in gardening will probably pick up a good tip or two if you listen like i say it's only been in existence for about three weeks so we're we're feeling it out getting it going and we've got seven episodes up ranging from how to feed your soil to raising chickens to tips for making weeding easier some garden money time savers how to grow things like popcorn family gardening tips tricky ways to plant tomatoes and peppers you might not be aware of all about uh, growing blueberries and microgreens and the importance of thinning vegetables and fruits and basically everything it takes for you to get a victory garden going. So that's, again, called the Garden Basics with Farmer Fred podcast. It's available wherever you get your podcast. You can find a link to it at FarmerFred.com and uh, the Farmer Fred Ramp blog page. Actually, there you can go there and just listen to them as well. But like I say, it's available wherever you find your podcast. I appreciate your support, even though it's only been up there for three weeks. We have over 3,100 downloads. And that's uh, in, in the world of garden podcasts. That's pretty darn good. So I appreciate your support, and I hope you tell a friend about it as well. All right. Uh, Coming up next week on this very radio show, our pal Debbie Flower drops by. Debbie, of course, uh, retired college horticulture professor, and we will be answering your garden questions on the show and, and learning a lot. We always learn something when Debbie drops by. Speaking of podcasts, don't forget that Get Growing the KSTE Farm Hour and the KFBK Garden Show also are available as podcasts that you can listen to uh, at your leisure. You can find it at the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts for the most part. You can find it. Uh, one other note about I forgot to mention about the Garden Basics with Farmer Fred podcast. It's short. It's less than 30 minutes. Perfect for a commute. Now, if only you had a commute. Yeah, I know. Yeah. Well, you'll get a commute someday. I think that part of normalcy will return, as will much of the traffic 
even though a lot of it is back already. Still, uh, that that part of normalcy uh, will um, probably come back. Traffic jams. All right. Um, what else? I want to end on a happy note. What would be a happy note? It's spring. Things are popping. It's going to warm up. So the weeds are going to pop, too. So stay on top of weeding. But uh, it, you're going to see uh, tomatoes on those little plants that you bought. That's going to happen. Peppers. And you know that squash is going to grow quickly as the weather heats up. 90 degree temperatures expected by the end of the week. Uh, that brings a smile to my face. And don't forget to uh, uh, keep some water out for your uh, feathered friends and your insects. It's always nice to have a fountain outside, uh, some sort of water feature where birds and insects and bees can land and get a drink of water. So uh, if you don't have a water feature in your yard, it can be small. It can be as simple as a big saucer with a half inch of water in it but something that uh, will give a drink to our uh, thirsty friends our our garden good guys not to mention your pets as well thanks for listening i appreciate your support all these years what is this now 28 years going on 29 i think 28 years whoa (laughs) thank you that doesn't happen very often in this business i appreciate it and uh, we'll do it all again next sunday morning 10 a.m to noon Right here on Get Growing on Talk 650 KSTE and KSTE.com. Bye-bye.